0: Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. I'm your host, Josh Schneps. Today, we're going to be talking politics and policy with one of New York's power players, Patrick B. Jenkins. Patrick has more than 20 years of experience in community relations, government administration, and public policy. He founded Patrick B. Jenkins & Associates, a consulting firm specializing in strategic solutions for businesses and campaigns government and community relations after serving as a government affairs specialist at Kassir Consulting. Patrick has extensive campaign experience serving as a consultant to several local and statewide campaigns, including leadership roles in campaigns for mayor, governor, and attorney general. On the local scene, he was chairman of an LDC, member of Queens Community Board 12, a co-chair of its Economic Development Committee. He is also a member of the Democratic Committee. He serves on the board of CORO NY and the United Black Men of Queens, New York. It's great to have you, Patrick. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So I'd love you to share just a little bit about your background and really what got you into your business.
1: Sure. Well, as you mentioned in my bio, I you know I had a long history in government, working for the city control, and then spending a lot of time working for Congressman Gregory Meeks, which exposed me to the world. You know, the congressman was a member of the International Relations Committee, and so around the world. And then in Queens, we are the most diverse county in the world, and yes, we yes. speak over 170 languages. And I was lucky enough to uh, work in a district of 700,000 people, where we got to experience everything and. From there, uh, going into the private sector after uh, joining, actually, the Elliott Spitzer campaign, as deputy campaign manager, I never went back into government. I went into uh, lobbying and then went and started my own firm two years later, and that was in 2009, and I've been on my own since then and uh, lucky enough to work with some great people and hopefully and do some great things, and we've done some great things, I think.
0: And I know you have a very diverse client base. I mean, some of your clients even include Uber, CVS, Charter. Um, Tell us a little bit about the clients that you work with.
1: I always felt that, you know, I work with corporate clients, I work with nonprofit clients, educational institutions. In that regard, in the clients that you mentioned, corporations have a role to play and they always are seeking redress from government. They're regulated by government. And sometimes it takes someone to understand both sides of the coin, how to make them work together. One, how to make sure that government's doing its job and, and the corporations are being held accountable and also Corporations actually, you know, spend a lot of time employing people, helping people, uh, setting roots in communities. Exceptionally proud on what Uber's done in terms of bringing independence to the uh, taxi and limousine industry. And, you know, of course, charter communications is a big conglomerate, bringing cable and Internet Uh, and uh, to people. But in CVS, of course, I've been working on a project to bring something called retail mini clinics into communities where, you know, in my neighborhood, the first line of defense is the emergency room. And we want to get people away from that, get people more into preventive medicine, and also provide people more options to deal with minor injuries and, and minor things. So it's those kind of missions where companies hire me to I'll make sure the government understands what they're trying to accomplish and also to find ways to partner with government to deliver a service at the end of the day to people.
0: You know, being an entrepreneur myself, and obviously, you know, my mom, she started our business out of our home. I can only imagine that it took time for you to really establish big relationships working with some of the larger corporations. What was it like when you started your business? I mean, what was your first break? Because I have to imagine you really took a leap of faith starting your own company when you did.
1: Sure. I mean, I To be honest, I was working in a firm and then as many people know my best friend, she's a political leader in the Bronx and he basically encouraged and I give him a lot of credit because I was nervous about it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he said, look, we'll, you know, let's do this for me and become a consultant and help me do what I need to do from the private sector. And then from there, I think, you know, I enjoyed a lot of good relationships that I had made during my time in government, and people knew of my reputation and my integrity. And they gave me a call. They're like, "Hey, you're working on your own now. Uh, can you help with this project?" And my actually my first major client was uh, Resorts World New York. Before oh, wow. they even put a shovel in the ground, I was working with them, helping them uh, get to know the Southeast Queens community, and the South Queens community. So, and they've been I've been with them from day one in 2010. So.
0: Terrific. Well, you know, talking about gaming, you know, I know that the legalization of online uh, sports betting just became legal in New York. It's off to an explosive start. I think the state is taking a 51% tax cut on what is now I think it's I think it's over a billion and a half dollars in revenue in just about a month, which is really insane. So talk to me, are you are you working in that space at all? And if you could share anything in terms of your thoughts on that industry?
1: Sure. I've been working on it from the beginning to legalize sports betting in New York, for example, and all of the gaming issues since I started uh, working with Genting. And I think that what we've been able to accomplish is important because, one, I think we can't be naive and think that people were not gambling. People have been gambling since the beginning of time. People have been gaming since the beginning of time. And now the technology is taking gaming to a new level where you can communicate, <laughs> pay your bills buy food at the grocery store on your phone, we would be naive to think that an industry like gaming uh, would not participate in the same type of way. So I think that what we've done by legalizing it, regulating it, monitoring it, it's made it safer for the consumer. It may have brought it to more people's hands. But I think I grew up in, in a community where we had numbers runners and we had all types of gaming entities or gambling entities that if you didn't pay or if things were not right they'd burn your house down. So, you know, by putting the light on it, once again having industry partner with government and really uh, bringing structure to it, it allows us to one tax it, two it allows us to generate revenue for it. When you look at what other gaming industry has done for education thus far, Resorts World alone has done over 3 billion dollars since its existence to the education system of New York. It's the state's largest taxpayer in New York and employs over 1,100 people and no one there makes less than $30 an hour and they're all members of the union. So there are ways to take something like gambling that's existed since the beginning of time and turn it into something that we can get production out of, something that we can regulate. And also for those people, especially who have issues, who have problems with gaming, give them an opportunity to come into the light as well get them the help that they need, and also find ways to combat compulsions and things like that. So all the way around, I think it's been a value add for the community and for the state. And I think that we've done a lot to make sure that it's safe and it's for the public good in the the best ways possible.
0: It seems like a national wave because it's got to be pretty difficult for a state to see a neighboring state raking in hundreds of millions of dollars and realizing that a lot of their own citizens are probably just crossing the line to place a bet and coming back before the football game starts. Exactly.
1: So. I mean, we actually saw that the largest amount of bets were placed at Hoboken on in the path station, or, or oh, right wow. across the George yeah. Washington Bridge in the middle of the George Washington Bridge, people were walking <laughs> halfway what's called geofencing and betting there. So Yes, we were watching millions of dollars go into neighboring states to do something that we could easily have done here. And we're doing it here now.
0: Well, clearly the demand is there. I mean, that yeah. that can't be disputed regardless. Right. I mean, when you see a billion and a half dollars being bet in the first month, I mean, clearly people want it. Right. Point spreads
1: have been in the newspapers since I can remember. I don't know when there was a time when there were not point spreads. So gambling and gaming has always been there. What we have now is an opportunity in New York, from your phone, to participate in a way that is safe, participate in a way that's monitored and regulated and provides a consumer with the same opportunity as somebody in New Jersey or Massachusetts had.
0: You know, not to take up too much time with gaming, but it is a critical uh, part of politics right now, honestly. And there's more on the table, which is the governor seems very committed to establishing a few more full gaming licenses for in-person gaming. Are you involved in that? do you have any thoughts in terms of that? Because I imagine that the economic impact of new casinos or existing casinos expanding could be dramatic in terms of the jobs landscape.
1: Sure. My client has submitted interest to participate at Aqueduct. It's not even a matter of changing the footprint that we have. It's a matter of changing the types of games that we offer. But what do you get when you do that? You get hundreds of million more in tax revenue. You get uh, hundreds more jobs. You get a workforce that has an opportunity to participate through the union to get more education. We want to train folks to work in the industry. Those jobs are transferable. I know a lot of folks who worked at Resorts World in Queens and now work in Miami or work in Pennsylvania. It's transferable skills. And I think that's important. So I think we do have an opportunity to change the type of games that we offer. To people, And I think, again, we should not be naive to think that people aren't getting on hundreds of buses every day and going to Connecticut or going upstate or going to New Jersey to Atlantic City because they don't have that opportunity down here in in New York City.
0: And Patrick, just to to clarify, maybe for some of our listeners that aren't 100 percent sure uh, or aware of the topic is that if you go to Resorts World now, most of the games are slot machines or video games. What this full license would allow them to do is to play real card games like blackjack or poker or any of those or, or, or craps, I guess. Is that correct? Right? Correct.
1: The technical term for what we have at Aqueduct and also what they have in Yonkers is a racino, where they have video lottery terminals. And yes, you're right. By becoming a full fledged casino, we would have an opportunity to employ way more people as dealers. It just changes the dynamic within the same building, and it offers folks different opportunities that people are now taking buses out of state to do. We just want to be able to offer New Yorkers the same type of service that they get in those other places.
0: Well, listen, I'm a big Queens guy. My mom started our business in Queens. I grew up in Queens, and I think if there is going to be a casino downstate, it would be great to have it in that borough.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what you're doing with flea markets and things like that, bringing products to Queens has been great as well. I've been watching
0: you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> listen, I, I started that about 10 years ago. We haven't done it since the pandemic, but we'll hopefully yeah. bring it back.
1: Yes, please.
0: So let's talk about democratic politics. You know, you're know, sure. you a big mover and shaker. You've been in this you know, your whole career. What can you share about the current state? I mean, this past year was quite dramatic. Eric Adams is our new mayor. We have Almost an entirely new city council, a lot going on up in state government. Obviously, this whole redistricting that was just announced this week that we're talking. So, what can you share about the current atmosphere? I
1: think we're at a fascinating time in New York politics and in politics in general. The country's become a little more polarized. I think at the end of the day, what people tend to forget is that the core issues that surround government and politics are the same. People want safety. People want government to work for them. People want government to provide a social safety net. And I can say that New York is the single best state of providing a social safety net for folks. And we have a ways to go in terms of everyone wants to be here. Uh, so we have a ways to go in terms of housing, providing good services to people who are homeless. I'm um, coming out of this pandemic, getting people back to work, reviving our uh, main streets and our communities is going to be a challenge, but an exciting challenge that government should want to embrace it and dive into. And in politics, we run the spectrum here. Just as we have over 170 languages spoken in Queens, we have every single person. We have 19 million people in New York, 20 million people in New York since the census. Every single person has an opinion and one slightly different than the other. And yeah. when you have that, it takes more time to build consensus. It takes more time and more effort to build cooperation, but we strive for that. And I think that what we're seeing in government now, when you look at the political spectrum, when you look at what's happening all the way from the the far left, what they call the far left to the far right, we have all of that within the confines of the five boroughs. And I think that with that challenge, with eight, close to 9 million people here, I think that we have a tremendous amount of great leadership that works to try and hear everyone and validate everyone and to build consensus. So we have a dynamic time in, in politics. I mean, because of that, and it's exciting. I think, you know, 98% of the people, you know, have a good heart and they want good things and they just have a different viewpoint of getting to that final destination. And our leadership has to find a way to, you know, to get people to agree 80% of the time and disagree 20% of the time instead of 50-50, so that we get some progress. And it's a challenging job. I respect. I think the key to it is to have respect for everybody. And I think it's been great working with a lot of elected officials over the years who I know have dedicated their lives. In a way, it it sacrificed their time, their family time to help the community. And it's exciting to watch. And I'm glad to be a part of it in some way because I think that, you know, I watch people who have two kids. They're going out to the store to get bread and milk for their family. And they get to the store and three people are telling them a problem that they need to solve. And they're thinking about feeding their kids so it's it's a tough thing when you're a community leader but and so I consider it a sacrifice i respect every last one of them that does the job that goes out and gets petitions and asks people for their vote and i think by you know having that level of respect and i understand what they go through um, it helps me work with them better. It helps me explain to my clients how to look at them in a different way. It can have a negative connotation, even myself, being a lobbyist. And I don't run away from it. I think we all have a role to play. And I say everybody's a lobbyist in their own right if they're fighting for
0: anything. You know, Patrick, you talked about your career starting in one of the most diverse places on planet Earth, Queens. And the city really is tremendously diverse. And I I feel like the dynamic has shifted a little bit because... I always feel like Queens, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Staten Island, are always considered the outer boroughs, <laughs> but I feel like politics has shifted in a couple of ways. Number one is Queens and Brooklyn in particular, I think as well as the Bronx and Staten Island to a certain extent have really come into their own from political representation, but also the diversity seems to be much more well-respected and, and represented In the city. I think this past year particularly there's been a lot of people that have been elected that that broke a lot of barriers but what would you hope to see in coming years for New York City in terms of those looking for advancement? Because of the
1: exciting times we're living in look I'm a child of Queens and this is not the New York of the 70s and 80s when I was a kid and that's a good thing and I think that what we are learning to do on a daily basis is how to work together better to respect each other's backgrounds And where we're coming from. And I think that that's been the thing. I think that's been helpful. As a kid, I'm born and raised in Jamaica, Queens. I never went to Astoria. I never had a reason to go to Astoria. And there were times when I, I didn't go to Howard Beach. I wasn't supposed to go to Howard Beach. But now in New York, those barriers are much less. And I think that in doing that and also recognizing the body politic, I think people in Astoria want to work with people in Jamaica, Queens. I think people in Bayside want to work with people in Kew Gardens. I don't think we're as divided as we used to be. And technology has been very helpful with that, just bringing us to each other. So I think the future is bright in that regard because we've had the opportunity to work together, but also come together as a community. And technology has allowed us to communicate together as a community. And New York itself has always been buoyed by immigration. It's the history of New York. People Absolutely. come to New York as immigrants. We are the gateway to the world. The second generation gets a better education than their parents had, and then they move on, or the parents move on, or, or whatever, but we're always churning and developing and changing, but we're also bringing those perspectives from around the world. I was reading that New York had lost close to a million New Yorkers in, to, the, to places like the Hudson Valley, to Maryland, mm-hmm. to Florida, but We were replenished and re-energized by people who came from everywhere around the world. And that's the story of New York. So those changes are good. And for politics, of course, when you have so many new people coming into the city at one time, some people get frustrated. They see who's existing there and they think they have a better idea and they want to tear that person down or tear who's in down and bring in new leadership. But at the end of the day, I always find the same thing. Government works the same for everyone, a friend of mine just tweeted yesterday. He said, "I, you know, some activists cut their teeth fighting the establishment, and then they wake up one morning and they are the establishment." You know, <laughs> and I thought that was a, a great tweet for the times because mm. that's exactly what it is. I think your perspective changes. I'm not the same college activist I was, you know, in 1989, 1990 when I was raising hell, forming marches, and doing protests. But I do it in a different way now. I understand how the wheels turn. And so I try to do that from inside the room. And I expect that someone who was like me when I was 20 years old and I knew everything. And I tell people all the time, when I was <laughs> 20, 23, I knew everything. You sure. can not tell me anything. And now that I'm in my 50s, I don't know anything. Right. So <laughs> what you I learn you. is that you have to keep learning every day as opposed to knowing everything at the time. But yeah. I appreciate that energy and I appreciate that people do want to see change. And I appreciate that they even push me to try to move the ball up the hill faster. It's the way society keeps progressing.
0: Well, Patrick, thank you so much for sharing your story with us on Schneps Connects. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And maybe we can talk again. I love this stuff. Look forward to it. All right. Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com.